What is moralistic therapeutic deism? What concerns does this raise for the church and our future generations? What we're going to look at today on the Let's Get Real podcast is this whole phenomena with these two questions in mind. And what we're going to do is hopefully in this show, and maybe one other one if we don't get it accomplished today, unpack this whole plague known as moralistic therapeutic deism. So let's get real about this subject of MTD. And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in this week. We have a very interesting topic following up on the series that we have done with anti-intellectualism. And basically, these two are really kissing cousins of one another because anti-intellectualism really produces what we're going to talk about today, and that is moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, before I define moralistic therapeutic deism or MTD, not MTV, like I want my MTV, I don't even want my MTD. But when you look at moralistic therapeutic deism, I I really believe that this is the main catalyst to teens and young people as to why they're so inarticulate about their faith. And then you go and you take into consideration our secular culture today, which is basically steeped in sexual hedonism, basically the religion of our culture is sex. I mean, you don't have to look too far. Look at the commercials. Look at some of the images on the magazine racks and look at all over, look at all over the place. And you can see that the, the ideas of sexual hedonism and nihilism, which is basically everything is all meaningless. There's no meaning in anything like that. And, and you know, what you have when you bring those two things together is a cultural that is basically headed for spiritual disaster. Now, what do we mean by moralistic therapeutic deism? Well, let me see if I can at least give you the the top of the onion, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack it in just a moment here. But when we talk about moralistic therapeutic deism, the moralistic linchpin or the moralistic tenet is that God wants people to be good, to be nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The therapeutic tenet is that the central goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And this does not matter on matters of morality or even sexual behavior. And then the deistic tenet of this is based on the ideology that this, there's this belief that there is a God that exists who created and ordered the world and watches over all humans on earth, but God does not need to be particularly involved in the life of people except when God is needed to resolve a problem for us. And this God is okay with good people going to heaven when they die. But you know, when you have that, you know, you have a, uh, a universalistic type mentality. Now, the description that I just gave you, you can hear the ideology of relativism wreaking havoc in this. If you 
can listen to kids today. Can you hear your kids and even their peers chanting this mantra known as whatever? Whatever, you know, like when they're told to do something by a parent or someone in authority, they just go and say, whatever. That is uh, a characteristic, I guess you could say. Well, you know, you could say yes is the new mantra. Uh, this whatever is the mantra, and it is impacting even the most religiously affiliated U.S. teens who are showing more and more that they are not particularly interested in espousing and upholding beliefs of their faith traditions. It is even impacting communities of faith like the church and even, even church youth groups who are failing in attempts to educate and equip their youth to give reasons why Christianity is true. Now, when it comes to discussing moral choices and, or even engaging in religious discussions, you, when we get this whole, you know, well, whatever type stuff, a person wants to believe is just fine. If that's what a person believes is fine, is usually the common response. You know, I was in a conversation yesterday with a coworker, and it's like, oh, you know, we don't have to, you know, pick on, you know, anybody's beliefs or, you know, everybody's entitled to their beliefs. Well, yes, everybody is entitled to their own opinion, but not all opinions are correct, okay? So when I give you an example of this, you know, you might have some people where you work well, who you get involved in spiritual conversations with, listen for that whole I thing. It's like, yeah, you know, people have their own beliefs. You know, it's okay that people have their own beliefs. Just remember, it's okay for people to have their own opinion, but not all opinions are correct. The casual whatever marking so much of American moral and theological landscapes, and even philosophical and sociological landscapes, whether it's in the adolescent community or otherwise, is a substitute for serious and responsible thinking. And more importantly, it is a verbal cover for an embrace of moral and religious relativism. Accordingly, most religious teenagers' opinions, and even young people for that matter, their views, one can hardly call them worldviews, they're vague limited, and often quite at variance with the actual teachings of their own religion. And we wonder why. You know, we wonder why we're losing our kids. So if we were to tie this all together, so many can scoff, if you will, at the 70 to 75% of the kids walking away from the faith. And a lot of people do scoff at that. You know, the one, the, the statistic that talks about kids walking away because, you know, they leave home. But if you want to see how, I, I really believe this ties together. Here's my take on it for what it's worth. You know, if you look at our culture today, if you look at the culture in our media, our music, and in our politics and even what we celebrate, we can see that it is nihilistic, in other words, the philosophy of meaninglessness, and sexually hedonistic. Just listen to the musical lyrics of pop music and just watch the award shows pontificating self-aggrandizements. Add to this, moralistic therapeutic deism is an influential catalyst for why we see kids walking away. And here's the regression. Insulation is what happens when they cannot find peers that can help them in supporting them 
from the assault from professors in the classroom and peers in the lounge discussing assignments on social, scientific, or moral subjects. They become influenced by MTD, which is the next step in the downward spiral, which is known as isolation. So they go from insulation to isolation, and that isolation is how the enemy of the soul attacks the challenge to God's authority of truth, espousing moral and religious relativism. And then, of course, MTD provides a pseudo-comfort and a faulty understanding of who God is, making God a, a God that is like the same of every religion, so to speak, and the only only will intervene when they when we want Him or when we need Him, uh, when we need uh, answers to you know provided you know based on our own assumptions, if you will. MTD has really no concern for God's intervention of salvation and the lives of people through the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, all good people go to heaven, but what do you mean by good? This is a question for those entrapped by this ideology of MTD, and they really cannot answer that question as far as what do they what do one does one mean by good? And looking inside oneself for the answer provides an answer that can only be debated. But God's answer is outside of ourselves and it points to him for the ultimate answer. Now, when I unpacked the whole idea of moralistic therapeutic deism, let me see if I can give you about five things so that, you know, if you didn't write those down, you can go back and re-listen to them. But let me give them to you here and give you in five statements. Number one, God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good and to be nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and most every other world religion for that matter. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Like, God, help! I, I need help to get, you know, get me out of this you know, type thing. And then number five, good people go to heaven when they die. But again, we can't answer that question as far as what we mean by good. Now, that in sum is essentially the creed of what, what you, we hear in adolescent faith today and what it's basically been reduced to. And after conducting a few conversations, one, you know, one of the things that many others and myself have found is that teenagers are very, or even more so, incredibly inarticulate about their religious beliefs, and most are virtually unable to offer any serious theological understanding. The Christian Smith, who has done a lot of work in this, he has said that to the extent that teens, that the teens we interviewed did manage to articulate what they understood and believed religiously, and it came, became clear that most religious teenagers either do not really comprehend what their own religious traditions say they supposedly believe, or they do not understand it and simply do not even care to believe it. Either way, it is apparent that most religious-affiliated U.S. teens are not particularly interested in espousing and upholding the beliefs of their faith traditions. And their communities of faith are basically failing attempts to educate their youth and young adults, for that matter. Now, 
you know, when we get back to this mantra of whatever, you know, these kind of responses found in teenagers today indicate a vast emptiness and at the heart of their understanding. When a teenager says, I believe there is a God and stuff, this is what hardly represents a profound theological commitment. Amazingly, teenagers today are not articulate in general, and as research has found, many teenagers know abundant details about the lives of their favorite musicians and television stars, or about what it takes to go to a good college, but most are not very clear on who who Moses was, or even who Jesus is. The obvious conclusion is that this suggests that a strong, visible, salient, intentional faith is not operating in the foreground of most teenagers today. In the end, teenagers are very heavily influenced by ideology of individualism that are so profoundly shaping our culture today at large. This bleeds over into a reflexive non-judgmentalism and a reluctance to suggest that anyone might actually be wrong in matters of faith and belief. Now, you can get involved in a conversation with somebody today, and they can say, well, that's true for you, but not for me, or if that's okay, you know, as long as you don't force it on me, that's all. This is basically what we are dealing with today in our culture. It is basically rooted because the church has become so weak in raising deists, basically, parents not really articulating their faith to their kids and living it out and discipling their kids. What we're dealing with today is this very, very thing today of basically, you know, that's okay, whatever you believe, you know. Um, Folks, that cannot happen. The moralistic therapeutic deism that many researchers are finding today, and they identify as the most fundamental faith posture and belief system of American teenagers, appears in a larger sense to reflect the culture as a whole. Now, what I, as I was just saying and giving you some descriptors, this is our culture today. Clearly, this is, um, for some, might you know, broad brush or generalized conception of a belief system that appears to characterize beliefs of vast millions of Americans, both young and old. That is true. You know, that is very much the case. Now, when we deal with moralistic therapeutic deism, what I'm going to do in the remainder of our show today, and hopefully I can get through it, is that... Moralistic therapeutic deism has some things about it that we need to really, really pay attention to. First off, moralistic therapeutic deism is also about therapeutic benefits to its adherents. Some people would say that, well, you know, this is not a religion, this is not a religion of repentance from sin or of keeping the Sabbath, of living a life servant, of steadfastly saying one's prayers, of faithfully observing high holy days, of building character through suffering, of basking in God's love and grace, of spending oneself, you know, the, the whole serious stuff about the faith. Really, it is about attaining a subjective well-being, being able to resolve problems of getting along amicably with other people. That's what moralistic therapeutic deism is about. It's not about the it's not about the serious biblical spiritual disciplines that that are often discussed. I'm not talking about the the spiritual disciplines of that that tie in with new age beliefs. That's a whole nother show. But 
What I'm talking about is talking about a devotional life, Bible study, prayer, evangelism, missions, you know, the, being, you know, a good church member, things like that. You know, uh, those things are not central in MTD. Usually, if you see a, a young person involved in those spiritual disciplines, they've most likely been discipled by their parents, and their parents are pretty squared away in what they believe. It's the parents that really are, well, you're, it's, it's said that our children are a reflection of their parents. I can say that because I'm a parent. You know, I'll often say when my daughter's saying something, whose kid is that? I'm saying that jokingly and lovingly because I'm proud and pleased as punch, and I know her mom is as well whenever she's articulating her faith to somebody. You know, and that is just a, a wonderful thing for us as Christian parents, but a lot of parents are not like that. And I'm not saying yay us or anything. I'm saying, folks, we really need to get serious about the spiritual disciplines of our faith, because if we don't, we're going to lose our kids. So another thing is that moralistic therapeutic deism presents a unique understanding of God. As it's said, God exists. He basically created the world, defines our general moral order. But, you know, he's really not interested or particularly involved in the affairs of human beings. That's the deistic arm. Now, when we look at that, we, we can go and say that I recognize that de- the deity behind moralistic therapeutic deism is much like that of the deistic god of the 18th century philosophers. And this is not the god of the Bible. This is not the god who thundered from the mountain in the Old Testament or serves as a judge. This is an undemanding deity that is more interested in resolving our problems and making people happy. In short, God is something like a combination of a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. He's always on call and takes care of any problems that arise professionally, helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. You know, when you get a preacher up there that's basically giving a stump speech that centers on himself, that preacher is actually creating moralistic therapeutic deists. Now, another thing about moralistic therapeutic deism is is that, that it's not an organized faith. This belief system has no denominational headquarters, no mailing address, but nevertheless, it has millions and millions of devotees across the United States and other advanced cultures where subtle cultural shifts have produced a context in which belief in such an undemanding deity makes sense. Furthermore, this deity does not challenge the basic self-centered assumptions of our postmodern age, particularly when it comes to so-called lifestyle issues. This God is exceedingly tolerant in an affirming way, and this religion is radically undemanding. Now, when we think of this, we can see sociologists like Christian Smith suggest that moralistic therapeutic deism may now constitute something like a dominant civil religion that constitutes the belief system of the culture at large. And thus, this basic conception may be analogous to uh, what other researchers have been identified as lived religion as experienced by mainstream culture. If we were to move into deeper issues, these researchers claim that moralistic therapeutic deism is colonizing Christianity itself as this new civil religion seduces converts 
who never have to leave their congregations and Christian identifications as they embrace this new faith, all of it undemanding dimensions. Now, consider this remarkable assessment here with regards to this. Other, more accomplished scholars in these areas will have to examine and evaluate these possibilities in greater depth, but I, I think it's safe to say here that we can come to some confidence to believe that a significant part of Christianity in the United States is actually only tenuously Christian in any sense that is seriously connected to the actual historical Christian faith or the Christian tradition, but is rather substantially morphed into Christianity's misbegotten step-cousin, Christian moralistic therapeutic deism. They argue that this distortion of Christianity has taken root not only in the minds of individuals, but also within structures of at least some Christian organizations and some institutions. How can we tell? Well, the language and therefore the, the, the experience of, say, like the concepts like Trinity and holiness and sin, grace, justification, sanctification, church, truth, Heaven and hell all appear, and among most Christian teenagers in the United States, at the very least, to be supplanted by the language of happiness, niceness, and earned heavily reward. Now, does this mean that America is becoming secularized? Well, not necessarily. These researchers assert that Christianity is either degenerating into a pathetic version of itself, or more significantly, Christianity is actively being colonized and displaced by quite a different religious faith. The radical transformation of Christian theology and the belief in Christian belief replaces the sovereignty of God with the sovereignty of self. And in this therapeutic age, human problems are reduced to pathologies in need of treatment plan. Sin is simply excluded from the picture and doctrines as central as like things like the wrath and justice of God are discarded as out of step with the times and unhelpful to protect of self-actualization. All this means is that teenagers today have been listening very carefully, and they've been observing their parents in, larger culture, in, in the larger culture with diligence and insight, and they understand just how little their parents really believe. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, they, they understand just how little their parents believe in just how much of their churches and Christian institutions have accommodated themselves to the dominant culture. They sense the degree in which theological conviction has been sacrificed at the altar of individualism and relativistic understanding of truth. And they've even learned from their elders and their pastors the self, that self-improvement is basically just one great moral imperative to which all are accountable. And they have observed the fact that highest, the highest aspiration of those who shape culture is to find happiness, find security, and meaning to life. Now, this research that has been done still has a lot of uh, uh, room to grow in it, but this research also demands the attention of every Christian that considers themselves a thinking Christian. Those who are prone to dismiss sociological analysis as irrelevant will miss the point altogether. We need to look at the United States of America as missiologists viewed nations that had never heard the gospel. I really believe today that 
the church is the mission field for America. I know Billy Graham said that years ago, but nothing has really changed. In fact, it has become more and more of a mission field today. We must now look at the United States as missiologists, as once they, they once looked at the nations that had never heard the gospel. I know I just said that, but I wanted to repeat that. Indeed, our missiological challenge today may even be greater than the confrontation with paganism that we see today. For we face a succession of generations who have transformed Christianity into something that bears no resemblance to the faith revealed in the Bible. The faith once for all delivered to the saints, essentially, is no longer even known, not even by American teenagers, but even by most of their parents. Millions of Americans believe they're Christians simply because they have some historic tie to, the, to a Christian denomination or their identity. And now we face the challenge of evangelizing a nation and the church at large, both which largely consider themselves Christian, overwhelmingly believing in some deity considers itself fervently religious as virtually, but has virtually no connection to historic Christianity. I mentioned Christian Smith earlier. As Christian Smith and his colleagues have performed an enormous service to the church in studying this, in identifying MTD or moralistic therapeutic deism as the dominant religion of this American age, yours and my responsibility, I believe, is to prepare the church to respond to this new religion which isn't really new because it's been with us a little bit too long. Understanding that it represents the greatest competitor to biblical Christianity other than progressive Christianity, which we'll talk about in another show. But more urgently, we need to warn uh, or consider this. We need to consider this a warning for us all, that our failure to teach this generation of teenagers the realities and convictions of biblical Christianity will mean that their children will know even less than what their parents will know and will be even more readily seduced by the new form of paganism. We really need to understand the statement from a Christian context. The more you know about God, the more you love Him. The more you know about your faith, the deeper you're going to be able to go in your knowledge of God, but the more you're going to be able to articulate your faith to somebody who does not know the historic Christian faith. You've heard the statement, knowledge is power. We don't abuse our knowledge, but we need knowledge because I believe it was Hosea, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And that is so true for America today and its understanding of historical Christianity. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. And I'll tell you, this is a heavy subject. And I'm not sure we're going to revisit this next week again. But we will revisit this at a later time. But know that this is something that is going on. We have the word faith, prosperity gospel that has been with us. We've got the cults creeping into the church. We've got the new apostolic reformation creeping into the church. We've got moralistic therapeutic deism. And now we've also got, we have um, progressive Christianity. Folks, I can honestly tell you that the mission field is actually in the church. 
We'll be back next week with another show. I'm not sure whether we'll deal with progressive Christianity or something pertaining to that. We are looking at how the ministry is going right now with uh, with the pandemic or pandemic or COVID election virus or whatever you want to call it. But we're really looking at how we're going to be doing ministry. We're always growing and and restructuring. So we have our podcast, we have our YouTube channel, we have our blog. If you want to go to our blog, you can go to roblundbergapologetics.com. You can check out that as well. If you want to go to my YouTube channel, please go to, just look me up, just go to Let's Get Real YouTube. You should be able to find it there or just look up Rob Lundberg YouTube or go onto our, our website, click on the YouTube icon on the right-hand side of the page and that'll take you directly there. You've also got our podcast. And thank you for listening. Thank you for your faithfulness and listening to us over the months. We are still here. We're going to look to grow it. We're hopefully going to do some new stuff as, as time goes on. But in the meantime, thank you. We have the Columbus Day weekend holiday. For So those of you that are listening today on Columbus Day because it landed in your in your inboxes because you subscribe to us. First off, thank you for subscribing. But as you go out this week and as we go into the holiday season, we're going to be in a time where spiritual conversations are really going to be ratcheted up. We've got an election coming up. We have the Christmas holiday coming up. We have all kinds of things happening, you know, festive times. Be an ambassador for Jesus. And as you go out this week, Go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. Bless.